I've decided to uh, play something for you, uh, which would be my prayer, really my prayer, to the Lord for this week and for your family. So indulge me as I play something for you. as my Christmas gift to you.
God bless you. Okay. All right. See, that's, I couldn't do this for a living. I'd have a very short career. All right. Uh, Matthew 6, we are deep again in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is now <clears throat> teaching us, teaching us how to pray. And he's giving us the greatest prayer, really, in the Bible, demonstrating how we are to pray. And we've been working on that. <clears throat> and now we're focusing on verse 10, where Jesus says, of course, we begin with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're focusing today on what is your kingdom? What is thy kingdom? What did Jesus understand that to be? What is thy kingdom? And so we've been talking about that. And as I indicated to you, uh, when Jesus speaks of the, thy kingdom, God's kingdom, he is focusing on a multi-level type of kingdom. First of all, when Jesus walked the earth, when he walked the earth, the kingdom of God was here on earth. He was the representation of the kingdom of God as God himself, fully God, fully man. That was God's kingdom walking with Jesus on this earth. But we know that the kingdom of God is also, as we're going to study, within us, within our hearts when we become regenerated Believers, when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God then becomes inside of us. But ultimately, we know that the kingdom of God will one day be established here on this earth when God returns, when Jesus returns, and we return with him in the hosts. And when he comes back for his second coming, a new Jerusalem will be formed on this earth and God's kingdom, where God will rule forever and ever, will take place in this world as this very world, as this very creation is reformed. Yep, exactly. Yeah, let's get an amen to that. Absolutely. And so we're going to study a few verses today that are all going to point these issues up. I like to tell you what I'm going to speak about first, as I did, and then I'm going to support it with uh, biblical verses, because as I said to you, this kind of teaching is only as meritorious as the scripture to support it. Merely my opinion is of no consequence. And so when we begin to study this, I want, I want you to begin to look at the promise that God made to David about the establishment of the kingdom of God through David's lineage. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7. And now look at verse uh, 11. And this, is Sam, and this is now God's promise to David. 
the prophet is speaking to David, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. And now the prophecy itself, uh, as he speaks to, to uh, David, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Stop. Again, God speaks on multi-levels. The first level he's speaking about here is he's saying to David, your son, your own son, will build this temple, and I will preserve him. He will build the house. And then when he goes on to say at the end of verse 13, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, he's not speaking of Solomon. The throne of Solomon is not established forever. The throne of Jesus Christ is established forever. And these are the verses that tell us that God promised David that Jesus himself would come out of the DNA, the, the very lineage of David. That was the promise that God made. And that kingdom would be established through the lineage of David. And now he's speaking, now he's speaking prophetically of what's going to happen. And this, by the way, is now 800 plus years before the birth of Jesus. These are the kind of things that make you understand that you should have absolutely positive confirmation of your faith. This is not an accident that we deal with, folks. These things just don't come together. We just don't celebrate Christmas because it's a beautiful event and we, and we have all the fables. We knew that God told us a thousand years ahead of time what was going to come, what was going to occur. He told us. He told us once, twice over and over and over and then he delivers on the promise he delivers on the promise and look what he says about jesus i will be this is verse 14 i will be his father and he will be my son when he does wrong i will punish him now jesus didn't do wrong but when jesus contains the wrongs the evils of mankind what happens he suffers on the cross and so what you see here is the prophecy again the prophecy of what's going to happen when Jesus contains the very evils of mankind. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. Do you like that? You can bring that down a little bit, Ken. Floggings inflicted by men, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, who I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Not the kingdom of David, not the throne of David, but the throne of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Established through the very DNA, through the very DNA of, of uh, David. Now, you may be saying right now to yourself, well, Brother John, that's, that's a very interesting interpretation of that verse, but how did the first century Jews think of that? 
How did the first century Jews think of that? Because one of the things that you need to study when you study scripture is context. Context. How did they understand this? So I'm going to give you some context. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And by the way, Hebrews is a fantastic book written for the Jews by an unknown author. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. I personally believe it was Paul. But I can't tell you that. No scholar can tell us that. But I want you to see now, this is now, we're now speaking about the year, about 20 years after Jesus has been crucified. And look at verse 5. Actually, let's read, begin with verse 1, because I think it gives us a proper context. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. How do you like that? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Isn't that beautiful? You want to know what God looks like? You saw him walking on the earth. That's God. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification of sins, meaning the crucifixion, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, verse 5, the critical verse that I wanted to give to you as I support what I read to you prior in Samuel. For to which the angels did God ever say, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. That sound familiar, folks? What I just read? 2 Samuel 7.14. The writer in Hebrews goes back and cites the very scripture that I read to you, indicating that the kingdom of God would be established forever through Jesus, out of the lineage of David, promised to David, promised to David, but fulfilled completely, fulfilled completely through Jesus Christ. How appropriate this, that we study this at this time of the year. Now, additional support, because I like to, as I give you a point, I like to uh, give you multiple references. Turn to Isaiah chapter 24. Now, I already said to you, the kingdom of God was within the Lord Jesus when he walked the earth. The kingdom of God is within the hearts of regenerated Christians sealed with the Holy Spirit, every single one of you here. The kingdom of God is within you. And yet the kingdom of God will be established as a physical entity, not a spiritual entity, as a physical entity in this world. It will be established here. And now you're going to see the predicate, the predicate for that. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 17. This is now 
750 years before Jesus is born. Terror, verse 17, terror and pit and snare await you, O people of the earth. This is referring now to the end times. This is referring to the battles, the pitched battles that will be waged at the end times. Armageddon, when Jesus comes back, when the evil, when Satan gathers to himself all the evil in the world and all the evil armies will be surrounding Israel and will make that final attempt to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. This is at the end of the seven years of tribulation. I want you to read what, what God is telling you is going to take place. Terror and pit and snare await you, O people of the earth. Whoever flees at the sound of terror will fall into a pit. Whoever climbs out of the pit will be caught in a snare. The floodgates of the heavens are open. The foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. And we know that's going to happen, that Mount Olives will split. And Jesus will stand on Mount Olives as he brings it to a completion. Mount Olives will be split. The earth is thoroughly shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. Can you just imagine the whole planet will just be shaken? Just be shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion. The time to pay the piper is there. That it falls never to rise again. Never to rise again. Sin, never to rise again. In that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above. And you know what we're talking about? The heavens above? I told you that. Principalities, powers, rulers in the air. How many times have I said to you that Satan reigns even in the atmosphere in this earth? That the evil spirits are in the atmosphere. And so when they say the powers, punish the powers in the in the heavens above, that's what he's referring to. That, that, that the demonic spirits that one time were in heaven, that have been exiled to earth, now this is the day of reckoning. This is the day of reckoning. And the kings on the earth below will also be punished. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison and will be punished after many days. The moon will be abashed, the sun ashamed. Why? What will come to pass? For the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its, its elders gloriously. You see what's going on? The establishment of the kingdom of God in earth after evil is obliterated, after this, this final assault. When God will come back and you, all of us, will be standing behind him as he sits astride a white horse, and he will come and we, all of us, will be with him as he comes back to earth. This is an unbelievable, unbelievable view. And it says in other parts of the Bible, when you read it in Revelations, it says that God will speak a word. He'll speak a word and the word will be like a sword. And out of his mouth, this sword will slay millions. Millions. The enemy will be destroyed. The kingdom of God will be established. So, thy 
kingdom come. Are you beginning to understand the consequence of saying, Lord, dear God, thy kingdom come. Come. Not merely in my heart. Not merely in my friends. Not merely in my church. But come, establish your kingdom in this world. That's how you feel. You know you feel that way, that you have days where things are so horrible you can't even open the paper. You look at the events of Connecticut, your heart is destroyed. And here's what you say, Jesus, come now, don't you? I say it. Where's the rapture? Bring it now. Well, this is what's going to happen. When you pray, thy kingdom come, that's effectively what that prayer means. Establish your kingdom in this world. Turn with me to Zechariah. Right next to the the, uh, end of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 14. I want to make sure you have plenty of proof if anybody asks you these questions. Zechariah 14. Verse 9. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. Let's understand something. Right now, Satan has dominion over this world. Make no mistake about it. When you see the events of Connecticut, you understand. Satan is astride this globe. We, as Christians, have been put here to keep Through the Holy Spirit, evil at bay. When the Holy Spirit fills our hearts, we are the the influence that is helping to keep evil away. But understand something. We are aliens in this world. Don't you feel like that? I'm telling you, every day of my life, more and more, I feel like I'm an alien. That my opinions, what I stand for, what I want to see is a minority opinion. That the rest of the world is sliding to Gomorrah and we're like a little outpost. That's exactly what's going on. That's exactly what's happening. But here the promise is made. Here's the promise. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. His kingdom will be established. Thy kingdom come. On that day there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. And then look at verse 14. Then, let me make sure I'm giving you the right verse. Verse 16, excuse me. Then the survivors... Underline that. The survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem. Again, you're talking about the last days. Armageddon. They've attacked Jerusalem. will go up year after year to worship the king. The new Jerusalem. The Lord Almighty. And to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. In other words, at the end of days, when God establishes his kingdom, the remnant will be in place to praise God. And we all will be reestablished in the kingdom of God in this world. And someday we'll do a a study so that you'll be able to understand that more fully. Now, as we understand and underscore the kingdom, thy kingdom come, I wanted to tell you really what the operational aspects of the kingdom are. And we've, we've studied this because the Beatitudes underlies the operational aspects of the kingdom. But turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 14.
Verse 16. Now, Paul is speaking to us about the operational aspects of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the establishment of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God within you. Verse 16. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Stand up for what you know is right. Stand up for, for, for God's word. Stand up for the truth of the scriptures, even if you, it makes you despised. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not a set of rules and regulations. The kingdom of God is not a set of statutes. The kingdom of God is the righteousness and joy of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And we have to learn this lesson. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Amen? Amen. You understand now the establishment of the, of the kingdom of God, what God accepts, what God is looking for? And so as we underscore this, I want to I give you a parable that Jesus gave us which talks about effectively the establishment of the kingdom of God. How the kingdom of God is established. What the rules are. How does the world respond to the kingdom of God? Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, you know this passage, the parable of the sower. This is a parable that effectively talks to us. Jesus is speaking to us about how the kingdom is going to be established. How the kingdom is going to be established. Verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. By the way, do you ever notice why Jesus, most of Jesus' uh, sermons were by the water? Do you ever, ever wonder why? For voice amplification. In other words, Jesus knew that if he were going to speak to a large crowd, if he was by the water, his voice would bounce off the water. Isn't that amazing? Really. I wish I could tell you I thought this myself. <laughs> In a couple years, I will. But actually, I've read that, and it made a, made a very good point. I mean, if you want to think about it, that's what's going on. That's why Jesus is speaking by lakes, on boats. It's because there are enormous crowds, and there's no microphone, and that's how his voice is being amplified. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat. There he goes. Got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying... A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell in good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Imagine that, a hundred times what was sown when the crop really reached the proper target. He 
who has ears, let him hear. Now, in verse 18, Jesus now gives you the explanation of what he just said. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, Satan, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who has received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution come because of the word, he quickly falls away. He's not truly saved. He hears it. He has an emotional experience. He has an emotional experience, but there's not real salvation. There's not the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it up, making it, making it unfruitful. This is that segment of the world that is too involved with the world. I'm a busy man. I got a lot of cares. I got a lot of, of, of issues in my life. I got a lot of real estate. I got a stock portfolio. I got family. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to, to read the Bible. After all, I'm a good man. And I know that as a good man, God will, you know, will bring me into the kingdom. Well, you know that that's absolutely false. But that's how a segment of the world reacts. And by the way, Jesus divided the world up into four parts. Only one of the four became part of the kingdom. Is that sobering? That's pretty sobering to me. One of the four. One of the four. A minority. The word is preached. Come into the kingdom. Join the kingdom. Accept Jesus Christ. And only one out of the four. All right. And finally here, verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word. It understands it, I'll go further and say, and accepts it, and applies it, and repents, and asks Jesus Christ to come into his life, and accepts that Jesus is the only way that he can be saved, that he died on the cross for his sins. All of this is implicit in that verse. All of that is implicit, and that man now becomes the kingdom of God. That is the establishment of the kingdom of God in the heart of that man. And what happens? What happens when the kingdom of God is established? Look at, look at what happens. What happens there is he produces a crop yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. Folks, you know this in your own life. You know this, that when, once you've accepted Jesus Christ, yes, you've had issues in your life. Yes, there have been some sorrows. Yes, there have been some hiccups. But you know that God has preserved you. He's lifted you up. He's given you the strength to face the kind of problems that other people would be crushed by. They look at you and they think, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Have you had a lobotomy? Don't you really understand what's going on? How can you still, in light of all these things, get up and go to church? How do you go to church? 
How do you get up and, and, and still praise God? How do you get up and you do all these things for the kingdom? Why? Because you and I know that if we spent every second of our lives, for the rest of our lives, giving back to God, we wouldn't repay him. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you something. The joy that we have from serving God, knowing where our future is. You realize what it's like to be sitting here and to know that if a meteor hit this building right now, we're going to heaven? You're going to heaven. There's a guarantee. You think the world has that? They don't have that assurance. They don't know that, but you know that. You've read it over and over and over and over again. Not from Hayes or from John, from Jesus, from the patriarchs, the promise of God over and over and over again. And that's this week. That's what makes this week so special to me, that God looked at this sin-forsaken planet dominated by Satan and his millions of demons and said, I will give them a life preserver. I will bankrupt heaven itself. I will bankrupt heaven itself. I will take the most precious thing that I have in heaven, Jesus Christ myself, I will send it to heaven and I will send him to earth and he will be a human being. He will reside in a manger in the lowliest absolute position of any human being could ever have. I will demonstrate to mankind that it does not matter about possessions. It does not matter about wealth. It does not matter about influence or about power. It matters about the power of Jesus Christ. I will send that life preserver to him. That's what, this, that's what this week is about. When we study the manger, and every time, every time we sing about the manger, and every time we study about this gift, you have to also think about the cross. They're inextricably linked. They're not separated. They're inextricably linked. And so, to me, this underscores the fact that the kingdom of God is going to be a minority position. Going to be a minority position. We're going to advance the gospel. We're going to speak the gospel. We're going to bring the gospel to the world. And most likely, the way Jesus writes it here, only a minority of the people that hear it will accept it. But that's not your job. Your job is to be the messenger. Your job is to be the messenger. And so the application here in this parable is not just about those that are hearing, all right? It's about those of us who are spreading the gospel. And so what we know is that not everyone will respond. Not everyone will respond. Only one out of four calling to Jesus will go on to fruitfulness. And really, that's really the test. That's really the test of, of, of a godly person. Let me see the fruit in your life. Let me see the the exhibition of Jesus Christ in your life through the Holy Spirit. The problem is that the soil for most people is not properly prepared. That's the problem. The soil is not properly prepared. And so we want to ask God that, that he begins to, to touch the world in a way that the soil becomes more prepared. So that when we deliver these messages, that when we, get out, when we go out and we speak to people about what this is, that their hearts will be touched. And I want you to re read something. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 18, Gospel of John. John chapter 18. So you understand the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. That's the message here.
Thy kingdom come. You understand now what that means. Verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Amen, Lord Jesus. The kingdom of God is not of this world. The kingdom of God is the gift of God, the righteousness and joy, the purity and love within us in a sin-filled planet. We have to understand this. And, and, and Jesus understood. Let me tell you something. Jesus understood uh, what this world was about. Turn to Mark chapter 8. Verse 37. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my world, words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Adulterous and sinful generation. The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes to his Father's glory with the holy angels. And so we have to understand, we live in an evil world as God establishes the kingdom of God. As we pray, God, may the kingdom of God be established here in our hearts, in our families, in our relatives, in our church, in our community. As we establish, ask God to establish, establish the kingdom of God. We have to understand that, it's, that the world will be against, that Satan rules this world. This is his planet. This is his planet. The creation is flawed. The creation groans. The creation groans for, for salvation. Just turn finally to Revelation 21. I just want to show you something as I bring this to a conclusion about the kingdom of God being established. Revelations 21. 21. Revelation 21. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. You understand what's going on? The world, the world has been turned upside down. It is shaken like a bulb. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The kingdom of God now coming down from heaven, being established physically in this world, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Amen? Amen. And now, as I close today's lesson, I'm not going to close with a prayer, but I'm going to close with another piano piece, which is my prayer for you as we approach this most glorious of times. Amen.
Christmas. I hope you have the most blessed of Christmases. We love you. God bless you. You are dismissed.